0: Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at Ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's Ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off.
1: The Republican supermajority in our state is wasting no time getting to work.
0: Today we're talking about new abortion legislation and a right-to-work law in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance.
1: Thanks to everyone who has signed up to become a new subscribing supporter of our show. And as I mentioned last week, we have a new shipment of t-shirts. So if you want a Pantsuit Politics t-shirt, get on pantsuitpoliticsshow.com to order one up. We've dropped the prices a little bit. And otherwise, just keep the iTunes reviews coming and you can follow us on all the social media channels.
0: So, in November, Kentucky voters sent a supermajority of Republicans to our capital of Frankfurt. We have a Republican governor. We have Republicans in the House and the Senate in the majority for the first time in a long time. And their session just started. They have declared pretty much all things an emergency. Yeah. And worked in a Saturday session to pass some legislation. And we thought in the Pearls, we could talk about one piece of that and in the suit, another. So in the Pearls, we wanted to discuss new abortion legislation, which was literally the first act to get through the Senate in Kentucky. There are two components to the new law. First, an ultrasound requirement prior to an abortion being performed. We already had a consultation with a doctor required, but now we have an ultrasound component. And then also a ban on any abortion after 20 weeks unless the mother's life is threatened. So I am
1: so frustrated that the Kentucky legislator and the Kentucky um, governor were all Kentucky is open for business, and we are going to deal with all these important things. But first, the most important job of government, legislating morality. It's so frustrating.
0: I agree with you. I don't understand why this is the top priority of our new, newly elected officials. I just don't get it. I don't understand why this is the, the first act. And, and the
1: ultrasound thing is so insulting because it implies that women are just so dumb, they don't understand what an abortion is or what's actually happening and if we can just really
0: shame them a little bit with an ultrasound they'll feel differently other than what you just articulated it's very confusing to me what the what the purpose of this could be i've been reflecting on the fact that i think that if you took a poll in kentucky of voters or just everybody people who don't vote as well i think you would get a lot of support for this legislation So what does that mean? Right. And what is the role of the legislature versus the court system when the majority makes a decision that I feel is very, very wrong? I also have been thinking a lot about the 20 week ban and the fact that I don't think anyone gets to 20 weeks of pregnancy and thinks, you know what, this has really been inconvenient for me. You know, I think that any abortion that happens after 20 weeks happens because someone has gotten some very difficult, Mm -hmm. devastating news. And I just really, really struggle to see the other side of this issue. I've been working hard on trying to see the pro-life side more and more because I think that's important to me having an informed perspective. Both of these two things bother me enormously, and it bothers me enormously that we're appropriating funding to fight the legal battles that will inevitably Mm -hmm. follow this legislation when we've got huge fiscal problems in our state.
1: Here is where I'm at with this.
0: I know that a majority
1: of Americans vast majority. I think it's probably 75%. I don't know the exact number. But let's just start from the position of most Americans believe abortion is okay in some circumstances. Most Americans are also uncomfortable with what I'm going to politely call bad abortions. Abortions people think um, women are using as birth control or having repeat abortions or whatever. But I cannot for the life of me figure out how to make it harder on the people having the quote-unquote bad abortions without also making it hard on a woman who's received devastating news about the death or death upon birth of a fetus she very much wants, having to sit through an ultrasound. Like, as somebody who lost a pregnancy at 16 weeks, like, what if the news I'd gotten wasn't your baby is dead, but that your baby will die, and I chose to have an abortion, and I had to sit through an ultrasound of this baby that I very... I, I tear up thinking about it, I very much wanted... It's just so infuriating. So if you can figure, if anybody out there, because I know we have some passionate pro-life listeners. If you can figure out a way to make it harder on the people or who are in a tragic situation or need an abortion because of tragic circumstances, rape, incest, genetic anomaly, whatever, without also, you know, without making it hard on them. I'm all ears, but I can't because I don't want to sit on the panel that says, "Oh, your abortion's okay. You get to go through. You don't have to get the ultrasound and get a speech about why you shouldn't get this abortion." I mean, I just I, I'm I don't know. And I the the I'm willing to go to some pretty far lengths to make the women facing these impossible situations as a woman who has faced one of a very difficult situation in pregnancy, their lives harder because that's just not how it should be. We should just like that woman says in my, the Tiller documentary, a woman is an expert in her own life. And all these bills say is, no, you're not. We're an expert in your life. And it, it makes me so mad.
0: The circumstances of this bill's passage were apparently pretty dramatic. Also, I read an article that I think Lori Stark, who listens to Pantsy Politics and also hosts her own podcast talk every week, posted about um, a woman testifying to Congress that she is pregnant, she has received some difficult news, she is waiting for further information that she cannot get until a later stage in her pregnancy, Mm. and that she does not know what her options will be if this legislation passes, which it ultimately did. And then one of our representatives, who I will not name because I do not want to give this person any kind of publicity, even on the stage that we have, gave a very dramatic and detailed account of the abortion process as he views it in a way that this one, that caused this woman to verbalize that she needed him to stop
1: and oh that caused God.
0: a female senator to say to him, you are torturing this woman. Please wrap up your remarks.
1: Uh, uh, that makes me want to burst into flames of righteous fury. It makes me so mad. It makes me so mad. Like, you don't have any idea. You know, I wrote a, a blog post about this on my blog once, and I said, you know, I have stood on the banks of the Ohio River and scattered the ashes of my 16-week fetus, and I will not be lectured to about the value of life. It's just so insulting. It's so insulting.
0: So I don't know what to do about this because I I understand that there are very, well intended people who have a view that this is an emergency, that we are disregarding life, that feel a deep sense of conviction about this. But I truly do not understand these two laws, other than an attempt to do something, anything that they think might pass under the current judicial state.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And something, anything that they think might be able to be upheld given the shifting nature of the current judicial state. And it makes me sad. And I hope that our court system will follow the recommendation that I made when we talked about similar laws coming out of Oklahoma, which is you cannot do indirectly what we won't permit you to do directly.
1: Yeah. Moving on to the flurry of other legislation that Kentucky legislator has been passing in like one day so it's all so important we must pass it all in like one or two days i even spoke with a veteran legislator who now is a um elected official in our county and he said it was dramatic compared to what he saw in his like 10 plus years as a as a state legislator he, he described it as very dramatic that seems to be Bevan's order of the day. That's like his that was his word, I think, when he became governor. He chose a word for his term and the word drama. was dramatic.
0: <laughs> well and, and we look we have a lot of drama in Frankfurt just because of the nature of some of the relationships. Our attorney general is the son of our former governor and there's a very public breakdown between our Attorney General and our governor. The protests uh, around the passage of the anti choice legislation and the What's been described as anti-union legislation, we'll talk about that in the suit, has been dramatic. So, yeah, drama in Frankfurt seems to be the theme.
1: All right, so should we move on to compliment the other side? I think
0: that's a great idea. All right, you start. I would like to compliment Michelle Obama, which I know is superfluous for most of our listeners who stay in a a consistent state of thinking Michelle Obama is amazing. Um, I thought that her departure speech was... Very classy. I think that she has really this year shown a style of public speaking that we have not seen before from a first lady or really from any woman in politics. I like how she owns her momness, and I that probably sounds weird. What I mean by that is I felt such a shift in my own authority and confidence when I had my children, and I think all the time about. Whether and how much of that to bring to my professional life. And I feel like she brings it in a way that is not cliche or trite. It's super powerful and really inspiring. And I was livid at USA Today. I tweeted about this. But the headline that she gave an emotional farewell speech in an equally powerful red dress sent me through what? the roof. Yes. Yes shut up, sent me through the roof. Um, I just, I think that she, whether you agree with her on anything or not, I mean, look, my policies and Michelle Obama's policies, if we put them side by side, there would be a huge distance between them. But I really love the way she carries herself and the way that she brings a distinctly feminine, but not cliche presence to her role. And, And I just think it's a great example yeah i agree
1: i'm gonna compliment susan collins not because of anything specific she did but because uh brent posted this really great article about like i think it was like 18 women that should run for president in 2020 and she was on the list and i thought yeah so maybe it's not a compliment as more as it's like a request yeah susan collins run for president in 2020 that'd be awesome love sarah
0: endorsed by Beth. Mm. <laughs> love Susan Collins.
1: Co-signed. Yeah, she's great. So that would be exciting. I would like to see her pursue higher office because I really have a lot of respect for her.
0: I sense that's not going to happen, but I would love it if it did.
1: We are special breakfast people here at Pansu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com help, slash pantsuit. Terms and conditions apply.
0: I thought that we might, before we dive into this, Sarah, maybe level set on what right to work means because I mm-hmm. feel like there's some misunderstanding out there about that.
1: Agreed. Well, I think, first of all, there seems to be this idea that um, right to work means that you, that Anybody can work, and you don't have to join the union to get a job. But there is a problem with that conception, which is that's already true (laughs) nationally under the Taft-Hartley Act. Very long time ago. Why are we still fighting about this?
0: A more appropriate name for right to work would be something like right to not pay union dues. Mm Mm-hmm. Because essentially what the legislation says is if you choose to work somewhere that has a union and you choose not to be a member of that union, that's fine. You can, you can still do that under existing law. You can still work here and not be part of the union. But the Taft-Hartley Act also requires the union to advocate on your behalf, even if you're not a member, and to extend to you any benefits that are derived as a result of the union's activity. I think I'm characterizing that fairly. I think that sounds fairly. I I agree. And so what the Taft-Hartley Act says is that you have to pay the union for that work that benefits you. You do not have to pay the union for the host of other things the union might be doing. And And the major example of that is political activity. But you do have to pay for what the union has done that has benefited you. Mm-hmm. And so right to work means no, you don't. So you can still work there if you choose not to be a member of the union. The union still has to do things and extend the benefit of those things to you if you're not a member, but you do not have to pay the union for that activity. Well, and what also really bugs me about right to work, but so that is I hope for reasons
1: obvious, problematic. So the union is doing that. You're now, you know, these, they're sort of like an agency fee. It's almost like you're, you're paying them to be like a, not like a subcontractor, almost like you're just like hiring them. I guess agent is why they call it agency fees, almost like your agent. But, you know, if you remove those and you just continue to remove sources of funding for unions, what do you think happens? Well, of course, what happens is that they, They lose um, their ability to collectively bargain. They lose the resources to bargain on behalf of the employees. And as a result, what you see a lot of times in right-to-work states is that their wages are lower than states without right-to-work legislation. Now, there's a lot of debate. People argue, no, no, right? Like, what they're arguing in Kentucky is right-to-work is economic development, and it brings all these jobs to town, and, you know, I think if this was new legislation, but we can see what has happened in other states, and I just haven't seen any evidence. That my, even my paper today published an editorial, and no, it was all about the difference between Michigan and Virginia, which passed these, like, within the last year or so. And I'm like, you know, you've had states with right-to-work legislation for way longer than that. Why aren't you citing the amazing economic benefit of those states? Because you can't, because you don't have numbers for people, for the states that have had right-to-work legislation for decades. So just
0: really bothers me. Well, I support this legislation for a couple of reasons. But those reasons are not related to the points that you just pulled out. Because I agree with you, there is conflicting data, much like everything we talked about when we did an episode on the minimum wage. There's all kinds of data, you can't draw great conclusions from it. I would say that there is a lot of correlation data that's presented as causation data on both sides of this issue. Mm -hmm. So I don't find the Democrats' position on this compelling or the Republicans' position necessarily compelling.
1: It's sort of like minimum wage hikes to me. Like, there's really, there's not some smoking gun here that shows that it works great
0: either way. That's right. And there are a host of factors that affect all of those things. The reason that I am in favor of this legislation, poorly named as I believe it is, is that I don't like any coercive acts. And I think that if you opt to not be a union member, you've done that for a reason. And I understand that this cuts away at unions' ability to remain strong, but I think that this goes into the adapt or die category. And I do think the nature of work is changing. I think the function of unions has changed because they've been so successful politically in getting a lot of legislation passed about health and safety and workers' rights. Unions really served a valuable purpose for a long time. Perhaps they still do. But if they do, I think they ought to be able to attract people to be members. If people find it valuable, I think that they'll chip in for that membership. And if that doesn't work, then, then maybe, they, maybe they've kind of run their course. I don't like coercing people to pay for something that they've pretty expressly opted out of. And we should mention that another facet of this legislation is to require people to affirmatively authorize payment of union dues instead of it being assumed.
1: Well, and I think what – okay, so I think – I go back and forth on this. I acknowledge that the economy and the nature of work is changing. How off, However, I also cannot ignore the fact that as unions weakened, wages stagnated. And I don't think that's an accident. And I think that unions had problems, and I know that many, many baby boomers who have got me in a corner would like to share how terrible unions used to be with me, and I get it. But, like, they're not of the most regulated organizations out there anymore, and it's not like, you know, they're all hanging out doing nothing as sort of the popular conception of union members are. It's just not like that anymore. And so I get your point, but as with many of my concerns – To me, it becomes a sort of tragedy of the commons, free rider situation. And that's always, you know, I don't like coercive acts either, but I also don't think you can depend on people to do the right thing. And why I like the idea of like unions sort of responding to market sort of influences and like if you don't have a service that's good enough to sell, then adapt or die. I just think they're different and I'm not ready to sort of say you guys did a good job maybe we're done with you I just don't know I don't know that we are done with unions I think there's a reason fast food workers are desperately trying to get a union because wages go up and people are treated better you know I have the most conservative bubba people that I know, people in my family who will dress down President Obama and say racist things about them. But guess what they're all in line to do? Get union jobs, every single last one of them. Because in a changing economy that values higher education, unions are one of the last sort of places for people without, you know, those people getting left behind by the global economy. And so if we can just continue to weaken unions instead of finding a way for them to adapt or to – you know, work together. I just think that if you weaken them, it's not really fair to say adapt when they're being put in a completely, in a, in a weaker and weaker position. Like, you know, adaptation, you have to have resources to adapt in a way. And I feel like what's happening to unions is so problematic because they are positive and they're a positive influence on wages and worker situations. And it also just seems so bizarre to me that we like the state of Kentucky voted for Donald Trump who says, how dare you go someplace you can pay somebody cheaper and then is really making this law that's going to make it so people can come here and pay us less.
0: Well, so a lot of this dialogue and how you feel about this issue, I think, is related to how you feel about wages for lower-skilled work, right? And if you believe that the choice is lower paying jobs, but still those jobs existing, or the jobs will always exist and we should pay people a higher wage. I think that's part of where you're going to fall on this issue, right? Because because I view wage issues as very relevant to the discussion of whether companies will continue to invest in United States workers. And in addition to wages, the, the general hassle honestly of dealing with unions it creates an adversarial relationship with the employer from the beginning in many circumstances so if i'm an employer and i'm looking at putting a you know a block of workers in one state versus another And I know that I'm going to have to deal with a union in one state and I probably won't in the other. That's going to make my analysis pretty easy. Wasn't there like a
1: car company or Ikea or someplace where like they refused to go to a state that didn't have unions? Right. And
0: I mean, I think it's different employer to employer. And that's why I say that a lot of the statistics on this, I think, conflate correlation and causation because it's not the same for every company. And that's another issue that I have with some of the union outcomes If there's anything that I have learned from doing some human resources work, it's that I could take two people with the same resumes, put them in the same job, give them the same supervisor, they will feel totally differently about their jobs, you know, Mm. because people are people. And I think there's an assumption in the way that unions have historically operated that all people want the same thing in their positions. And that's been true on some issues. When unions were really fighting the fight for health and safety... Absolutely. I just wonder, and and, and, you know, you're right. I don't know if that purpose has been fully served, but I think that's a fair conversation to be having. And I think putting a little bit of pressure on unions to show their continued viability, the continued benefit that they have for workers is fair. Because if all they're there to do now is to negotiate wage issues, I think there might be better avenues for that.
1: I mean, I think that's tough. I think that, and I, like I said, I think what my problem is with the right to work is you can't, this is, this is not coming from a place of let's help unions be more efficient. It's <laughs> not why this legislation is being passed. It is let's strip them of any source of power and funding and particularly because, let's be honest, they are a source of political support for Democrats or I don't know, maybe not anymore considering the what happened in the Rust Belt. But um, so, I I mean, if I felt like this was coming from a positive place of let's see how this changes and let's let's our economy change and let's have an honest discussion about this, it'd be one thing. But I just don't feel like that's what this is. I feel like this is uh, we want to pay people less and you're standing in our way.
0: I would not vote for this if I were in the Kentucky Congress. If I thought it was motivated by undercutting a source of support for Democrats in the political process, that's obviously a terrible reason to do this. When I think about the fact that Kentucky is the only state left in the South that doesn't have this law, that to me is a is a reason to go forward with it to say, let's stay competitive with our neighbors for certain types of industry because we desperately need more industry in this state we just do even if it brings in some relatively low paying jobs we we need more industry so i think that on balance to me this is a this is a positive step forward for our state and it is consistent with this to me does not feel like anyone is hiding the ball you know i think republicans across kentucky ran on being a A pro-business legislature. And I think that, you know, this is a delivery on that promise. I'm not sure it merited a special session. I think it probably didn't. I worry about some of the discussion that protesters of this law were kept out of the chamber. And, you know, I I don't know how normal (laughs) some of what has happened around this legislation's passage is. I think that this should be done in a more deliberate way through an open and transparent process. But but on balance, I think it was the right move.
1: I guess I'm just always suspicious of, especially if it's every every other state in the South, well, it's not like we have a good record of worker treatment or even really economic development. I mean, if it's just a race to the bottom, I don't want to be involved in that. So I'd rather, you know, look to states no matter where they are in the country and see you know the the source of economic development and how that's happening you know and we've been having a really interesting conversation in Paducah with a model they're using in Little Rock and they call it the innovations hub and it's about it's not about trying to get companies to come in and rescue your town it's about stop the brain drain and stop shipping out people but to keep their keep those kids and Use them as a resource with adults or retirees in that community to build businesses from the ground up within your town, I think, you know, speaks to a much more interesting approach than like begging and giving pukus of incentives
0: to try to get some factory to come and save you. So I think that depends on the community. I mean, I really like that approach, but I think it really depends on the community. I don't know. Isn't
1: the best community, you know, isn't any communities, the young people going to be one of its best resources?
0: I think that's true generally. Right. That's sort of like mom and apple pie. But I think that there are communities that in order to get children to a place where we can know that they're going to be the entrepreneurs of tomorrow. we need some resources for their parents too to stabilize their home situation and sometimes that does mean begging a business to come in and put a big facility in where their moms and dads get good jobs. Well, and
1: I don't but it's not even to me it's not even about begging them anymore. it's not I don't think those places I don't know how many of those companies still exist, right? I don't know how many I don't know if you know f- manufacturing is the future. I know actually, I do know. Manufacturing is not the future of our economy, right? So there are fewer of those factories first of all, the co- competition for them is intense. second of all. And so if you're a little town that doesn't have a lot of resources to begin with, you can't compete for the very few um, opportunities that are available to begin with. So I mean I think you have to it's I, I keep analogizing it to a portfolio, right? You don't put all your stock in one thing. You have diversity. You diversify your portfolio, and you should diversify your economy. And that might be in very, very small ways if you're a very, very small town. But this Innovations Hub, too, is not just for – the idea is that it's not just for students, that you know members of the community can get memberships and come in and use the 3D printer or work with a business um, advisor. It's, like, very amorphous and um, adaptable depending on what your needs are, what the community's needs are. But, I mean, I just – I think that, you know, we've talked about this before, both parties have this nostalgia. And I do think there is some nostalgia wrapped up in the discussion with regards to right to work in unions. Um, Democrats are nostalgia for the economy of the 1950s. And it's like Republicans are nostalgic for the culture of the 1950s and slash 60s. And none of that is coming back. So we all just need to let it go. And I don't think that You know, I'm not trying desperately in the same way that I'm not trying to get factories to come back and save towns, to get unions to come back and save the economy. But I also think that they should be an important part of the discussion and slowly, you know, bleeding them dry is not the way to keep them at the table. Um, Advocating for um, workers, which in an economy in which wages are stagnating and growth is stagnating and CEO pay has skyrocketed, doesn't even seem a big enough term. Then... You know, I think they, they weakening their position is not the path forward.
0: So I think it's true that right to work is not a silver bullet for economic development. And and it shouldn't be sold that way. I think the decision of a company to locate one place versus another has a, a huge variety of variables, including what kind of people do I need to work there, right? And what kind of talent am I trying to attract, and that's why I think community by community is the, the way to look at this. For me, I would vote in favor of right to work because I think the best our state legislators can do is remove obstacles. What are potential obstacles for people looking to invest in Kentucky? Let's get let's get as many of those out of the way as we can and still protect the interests of our citizens. And that's what I see with this legislation. Go to getcanopy.co to save twenty five dollars on your canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with canopy's hassle free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional ten percent off your canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. We're going to move on to the heels now. We're going to talk about the very pressing issue of the day: the Golden Globes.
1: So I love the Golden Globes, and I live-tweeted our account because we don't have enough live events to tweet together, and sometimes we're just going to shine on with some celebrity stuff, you guys. Get on board.
0: I mean, I tried, and I You first... were
1: unenthusiastic, and it was— Well,
0: weird. I was, and I—so I got annoyed, and then I got distracted, and then I fell asleep.
1: Oh, I was just
0: not a good partner on this. I apologize.
1: It's, and it's the best one. Now, I will say Jimmy, oh, Jimmy Fallon did a crappy job of hosting, bring back Tina Fey, And Amy Poehler, for the love of all things sacred and holy. They do the best job. They kill it every time. They make fun of, uh, like, with an appropriate level of meanness to the people who deserve to be made fun of. And Jimmy uh, Jimmy Fallon, he kind of gets on my nerves. I'm sort of over him. But it's still fun. They're, like, drinking. They're chatting. They're all loud. They have to wait for him to be quiet. I love it.
0: I just get really annoyed with the self-congratulatory nature of the entire thing. I mean, these people are celebrities. They get celebrated all the time by definition. I I just don't get it. I do like that it's a chance for people who like makeup artists and costume designers to get a little bit of the spotlight. But Otherwise, it's just not my cup of tea. It's really well, not. Well, and I saw
1: the award went the best drama, Moonlight, like an hour before. So I was super invested. I haven't seen La La Land, though. So clearly, I need to get on that because it looks like it's going to sweep the Oscars. But the big moment was Meryl Streep's acceptance speech for the uh, Cecil B. DeMille Lifetime Achievement Award. First of all, Viola Davis did a beautiful introduction of her. And then Meryl Streep got up and used her moment in the, in the sun to really um, speak to the ugliness of Donald Trump's campaign, in particular his mocking of a disabled reporter, and um, then to say how important it was to support the press and the arts. And I really liked the part where she went, she sort of talked about where everybody was from. I thought that was really great, sort of like, because I think that in the same way politicians get painted with this sort of nasty stroke, so do celebrities, like, as if they're a monolith. And I loved how she sort of went, you know, Amy Adams was born in Italy, and so and so was born in Iowa. And I just thought that was really great to just like, hey, we're all like you. We were all born all over the country and the world. And I just really like that part.
0: I watched it this morning, as I saw Twitter exploding about this. And I've been thinking a lot lately about the culture of the two parties versus the philosophies of the two parties and sort of what the chicken and egg looks like. So I find it completely obnoxious when someone uses a moment like this to deliver a political speech. And I wonder if whatever is in my brain that makes me view this as so obnoxious, and I say this as a person who adores Meryl Streep, I think she's incredible, Is the part of my brain that makes me view it as so obnoxious the same part that makes me have sort of a conservative bent? Or is it the other way around? Or is it just that I have adopted some of the feelings of the people that I tend to vote with? You know, because as I'm I'm looking at Twitter, I'm like, well, even all of the people on the conservative side who I know despise Donald Trump are annoyed by this. And all of the people who are left-leaning think it was amazing. And yeah, I don't Yeah, I hate yeah, I don't these really, litmus tests that keep happening in our culture.
1: I don't understand why. See, I thought my reaction was completely different. I thought, well, how lovely that she took this moment that was about her and made it about the world and said, hey, you know what? There's more important things than me patting myself on my back for what a good actress I am because she is a phenomenal actress. Um, that's the one thing when Donald Trump was like, what did he call her? Not overrated. Or overrated. I was like, <laughs> so that's like saying Michael Jordan's just okay at basketball. What are you even talking about? Well, and let's throw knows.
0: in, Mr. President-elect, please stop tweeting about things like this. Please stop. Or stop
1: tweeting. Please, that's what please I
0: do. don't tweet about Arnold Schwarzenegger and Meryl Streep. I can't stand it.
1: So, I mean, it didn't bug me at all. And I think that, you know, I, I think that there is an aspect of, liberalism or progressivism that takes the arts very seriously, that feels that they, in the same way that conservatism takes religion very seriously. And that's not to say that I'm a very religious progressive, and I know that you enjoy the arts, except for your terrible taste in reality shows. But I think that this is, you know, it's almost like what altars do you worship at as a party, maybe? And, you know, I don't make, I have no, I make no apologies about the fact that I think, Art is incredibly important and to be protected and artists are to be praised. And I don't have any problem because they're human beings just like everybody else with them um, using whatever influence they have. In fact, I think it shows responsibility when you have a platform to use it in a politically responsible way by sharing how you feel. And because I guess you see it as like, why do we? How egotistical that you think people care what you think about this? Is that kind of the idea?
0: No, I think everyone has a right. I mean, look, we host. I sit in my closet and talk about politics all the time. So it's not like I think anybody (laughs) shouldn't get to say what they want to say in whatever forum they want to say it in. The context of these award shows bothers me in particular because I look at the opportunity these people have. There are, what, three or four of these things every year why don't you do something then if you guys all care so passionately and I know a lot of them are very active and giving, but you have the world's attention during the Golden Globes. Why not broadcast from a high school where you guys are helping build a theater program or do something connected to the arts, invite your favorite nonprofits to sit at your table and use your speech to highlight the work that some of them are doing. I, I just think some kind of thematic actual work connected to these awards shows would make it resonate a lot more with me if people want to use this time to talk about the world instead of their movies.
1: Well, I just think, though, that the only unfair part about the way people act about award shows is they act like, you know, all the celebrities woke up and said, let's put ourselves on TV and and pat each other on the back about how awesome we are. I mean, they started as award shows like they do for every other industry. Every industry on the planet pats themselves on the back and says, hey, this person did a good job. Here's your award. That's just these are beautiful people that we put on TV. So it's not really surprising that we put their award shows because they're beautiful on TV, right? I mean, I think it's just reflective of what they do for a living, not that they're any different from any other human industry in which everybody likes to congratulate people who do a good job. It's just that they're pretty and we like to look at them. So we all want to watch their award show because we all watch everything else they do.
0: But that gives them, because we do that so regularly, that gives them such a unique way to actually accomplish things with these opportunities if that's the direction they want to take it. Another thing I think about is, you know, our friend Barbara, who makes UBL lip balms, her lip balms were in the swag bag for one of these events a couple of years ago. How great would it be if somebody giving a speech did a shout-out to Barbara? You know what I mean? And People like her who are helping them enjoy themselves and who are really out there, like, making some things happen in the world. I don't know. It's I don't have any disrespect for what they do, how hard they work, or the importance of what they do in the world. I just think that these events really disproportionately celebrate that work compared to the kinds of awards that you're talking about in other industries. And if they want to make it a political moment, cool, but like give the whole event that flavor instead of it being essentially a party slash pageant complete with a few lectures. I don't know. I know that well, I know I, mean, because I know we you don't know why she this. can't
1: they can't stand up and say Barbara's lip balm is great because these people make money on endorsing products so they can't th- roll up and endorse another product because half of them are you know shills for L'Oreal and Maybelline and Covergirl and they'll be like fuck you we have lip gloss How dare you shill Barbara's lip gloss you know what I mean like it doesn't work like that I think that well I you think just, they
0: could, there can be some sacrifice accompanying when you want to make political statements there are some sacrifice accompanying that all the time right and i I'm not gonna. I mean, that kind of logic makes me get out the world's tiniest violin. In some ways, you know. Given no, I
1: mean, I'm just saying. I'm not saying feel sorry for them. I'm just saying acknowledge their reality. They have contractual obligations to all kinds of products, so they can't promote whatever products they want because they would have legal ramifications. Because that's how they make their money. You know, like promotion. A lot of it, and they make more money than they should, probably doing a lot of this. But I don't know. It's just like. Let's just let th- – I, I I'm defensive of celebrities. One of the very first fights my husband and I ever had was over Julia Roberts in which he insisted that you only have a finite amount of empathy and you should not give it out to celebrities. I'm not even kidding. That was the point he tried to make. Finite amount of empathy. So, I mean, I just I, – I think that how we treat celebrities is not about who celebrities are, but it is about who we are. And nobody wants to acknowledge that. And I think that um, celebrities – are human beings just like anybody else and we don't really have any clue what it's like to be that famous and I'm not saying we should feel sorry for them but like I I just think that I I had a really good idea for a reality television show one time where somebody who like really hated on celebrities got to feel what it was like to be followed by the paparazzi I think that would be an interesting psychological experiment because I just don't think we get it and so I do have a little sympathy for them in that case I don't know. I just think that it's there's all this judgment about celebrities. I'm not saying that's what you're doing, but generally. No, I am Meryl doing Street. it a little
0: bit. I, <laughs> I, and look, it it, it it amazes me not to fall into like tired partisan talking points, but it amazes me how much there is kind of the altar of the arts and particularly of celebrities in the Democratic Party. At the same time as the constant beating up on the wages of CEOs um, who are running giant companies, just like these celebrities are making giant movies, which each one is a little company, right, in and of itself. I think it's incredible that we really care about the inflated wages of some folks and and that these people get an, a pass on that.
1: I guess what I think is, though, the progressives are not the only one that's do the celebrities. Do you know how many times somebody's posted that Joanna Gaines, Chip Gaines thing in my timeline? Those I haven't seen celebrities um, idolized like those two people in a very long time. Didn't so, you think what
0: they wrote was beautiful, though, about I this did. whole situation? I did. I thought it was really
1: great. But I, people talk about them like their shit doesn't sting, and it's sort of getting on my nerves. So, at least like,
0: they're, like, building houses. I mean, I, they're out there doing some good in the world, and they're creating jobs for people and businesses. I mean, I I think I don't worship them like they. Seem I mean, nice. people
1: do though. People worship them, like yeah. there is some worship going on, <laughs> as in their marriage is perfect, their kids are perfect, everything's perfect. They're beautiful, they're wonderful, they're giving, they do all the good things. And I don't, I don't know. It just everybody the celebrity culture is not. While I think maybe a the altar of the arts is a left-leaning thing celebrity culture is bipartisan and you might pick and choose which celebrities you're worshiping or but that that culture that we've created and that gave us Donald Trump might I add is universal then and I like that's why I love Anne Helen Peterson so much like I she's a really great writer and she has a Facebook page called Celebrity Gossip Academic Style she used to write she was a doctorate in celebrity studies and I just really opened my eyes to the fact that like this is not about that you think Kim Kardashian is lazy and doesn't really do anything. And this is not about that you don't like Meryl Streep busting on Donald Trump. Like there is something much deeper in the way we react and treat celebrities that speaks to our culture and that it's a way we exercise our fears and our desires as a culture and a society. And I just think that it gets sort of blown off and treated as shallow at, at our own at our own. Um, costs. Like, I think that when we do that, we're missing the point. We're missing that there are much bigger issues here. And when we just say, you know, when we just kind of go ugh and roll our eyes and, and think that it's just all this sort of shot, like I said, shallowness. I, I don't I, we're missing the point. I really I believe that.
0: I I agree with you that the culture of celebrity is pervasive. I think that a lot of what you said is totally valid. And I can simultaneously really like and admire Meryl Streep. And find her speech really annoying (laughs) and and completely agree with her sentiments about Donald Trump. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm good with all of that contradiction. And I, I think that that's part of what has been so ugly and disappointing for me all day. The limited number of times I've had to sort of scroll the Twitter feed it just seems like we've just taken another, another small, relatively insignificant moment in time and decided to turn it into a partisan lightning rod, which is the opposite of what any of us need right now.
1: It's, it's what we do. It's what we do. We have to do better, everybody. So we will be back um, on Friday with an episode of The Briefcase. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all.